everybody, and uh, welcome to the Black and Behavior podcast. What episode are we on? Like, five? I think this is, is four? it five or is it four? I think this is four. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this but, is five. Wow. Five. Look at us. Okay. Look at us go. <laughs> episode five. And um, welcome, Jeremy. It's just Jeremy and me today. Yes. Um, Sharon is not going to join us today, um, but we do want to send her some love and appreciation because she is wonderful in all things that are good in our lives and the calm that is Black and Behavior. So love you, Sharon. We are I thinking about you. Love you, Sharon. We're going to miss you. <laughs> yeah. So today we were go we've got, a. I mean, like, it's it's not surprising, but we do have more heavy topics to talk about. But we're going to talk about um, we're going to talk about Juneteenth. We're going to talk about Black Wall Street a little bit, and we're going to talk about Pride um, because it is early June and it's Pride Month, and I'm very excited about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what is being black without a bunch of heavy subjects and conversations? That's just that is just the that's just what it is that's just what it means to be black especially here in america and i'm sure other places as well um so yeah at this point if you are not used to us discussing heavy topics then <laughs> i don't know what to tell you <laughs> i mean like they must come here they're they've made it to episode five so yeah they're just yeah. like hmm, give me the tea <laughs> <laughs> there must be something that you like yeah <laughs> outside so. of my beautiful voice yeah. <laughs> That's why I'm here. <laughs> All right. So maybe we should start off with um Juneteenth because let's do it. Yeah, let's start off with Juneteenth. So um Juneteenth is June 19th, and what it is is Freedom Day. Freedom Day, Jubilee Day, Liberation Day, Mansion Day, Emancipation Day. Mm -hmm. Take your pick. Yeah. <laughs> Mention Patient Day, and uh, it is the day where um, the government declared that um, slavery was illegal, right? So, of course, most people recognize the Emancipation, or most people that don't know, I should say, recognize the Emancipation Proclamation as the end of slavery, but it was not the end of slavery. Yeah. Um, Juneteenth represented a day where slaves specifically in Texas were informed that they were now free. Um, there was a, if I remember correctly, there was a lower union presence in Texas. And because of that, the slaves in that area had not heard that they were free. Mm -hmm. um, I don't remember what the time frame was of how long that had been um, that everybody else had heard. Let me see if I can look at that really quick. Um, but a time frame had passed where other people in the parts of the country, other slaves in, in parts of the country had already heard that they were free, um, but those in Texas had not. And so this announcement, which was made by a general, Gordon Granger, a white man, um, informed these slaves in Texas that they were now free, Gauss in Texas. Um, so ever since that day, June 19th, 1865, yes, um, 
we have celebrated Juneteenth as uh, the true celebration of our freedom as Black people mm -hmm. in the United States. Yeah, so um, Emancipation Proclamation, um, uh, but at that, it's technically free, but a lot of slave owners got this information. We're just like, we're just not going to tell the slaves. And then if they don't know, <laughs> they're, sure, they're still going to work. And so. not only that, but there were there were states who, because obviously there's there's federal law and there's state law, right? So there were there were states still that recognize um, slavery as being legal even mm -hmm. after the Emancipation Proclamation. So um, you know it wasn't just that you know slave owners. I mean that was the case, but it wasn't just that slave owners weren't telling these slaves that they were that they were free, there, there were slaves that still recognized it as a legal um, occurrence mm. um, or entity. So, yeah. I see. Over here, it says that um, September 22nd was the Emancipation Proclamation. So I was wrong. Yes, 1862. Um, yeah, 1860. That was not a long time ago. That is I mean, if, in, in the grand scheme of a nation, it's really not. Mm -mm. It's really not a long time ago. 1862. Oh, wait, no, 1962? No. No, okay, 1862. <laughs> <laughs> no way. Yeah, no. <laughs> no but, way. Um, but June 19th is the day that, you know, even though there is ambiguity in all of that, June 19th is the day that we celebrate it. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so I love Juneteenth. It's... It, it's got like a whole bunch of gray area, but it feels more personal than July 4th. I, I don't really care much for July 4th. I mean, why would I personally? Um, July 4th is just kind of like the U.S.'s freedom from Britain. And uh, that only that doesn't really affect indigenous people or the slaves that were here. So, I mean... Yeah, I'm just like, I have no personal reason to celebrate July 4th. Absolutely. I think I think that we I think that the large majority of us um came up to understand July 4th being this freedom of the people. Um and I and I think that a lot of us were led to believe that that included slaves too. Um, because I don't ever recall there being a distinction made. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And obviously coming up through grade school, um, I had never heard of Juneteenth. I I did not hear about Juneteenth until I was well into, I want to say undergrad of college. Um, my aunt one year put on this um, Juneteenth festival in my hometown um, and we all got together at a park and just, um, you know, celebrated each other and celebrated freedom. Um, and that was the first time that I had ever heard the term Juneteenth. Yeah, same. Um, I didn't so it's, hear about it's, Juneteenth until I was already an adult. Yeah, yeah. So it's, and, and I don't, I don't blame my parents for that. I don't blame their parents for that because I genuinely don't think they knew. Um, and I mean, maybe they had heard, but you have to think about it in a mind frame of, uh, 
what we are what we were allowed to do as well because we get the day off for july 4th Mm -hmm. and have for years Mm -hmm. um nobody was giving the off days for juneteenth so we didn't recognize it as this holiday where we could be off and celebrate and have fireworks in the same way that we could on a july 4th yeah i'll i'll even go a step further to say nikki that in my hometown there are only certain days that you can have fireworks mm-hmm. and i don't think that juneteenth is recognized as one of those days certainly not so <laughs> I mean, there you go. <laughs> you know what I mean? I am. Um, we weren't given that opportunity to recognize it. I saved some uh, sparklers uh, because fireworks freak a lot of people out. So I saved some sparklers and on Martin Luther King Jr. Day and um, on Juneteenth, I like do the sparklers thing. But like yeah. even when you're like doing sparklers in the fire or no, even when you're doing like sparklers in the um, in the parking lot, like the cops like roll by really slowly, just kind of like, is that flame? And yeah. Like, oh, I'm scared. <laughs> um, yeah. But it, it's just some sparklers. If If they did roll up, I'd just be like, it's Juneteenth, please step off. Uh, right. But um, yeah, I mean, like you can congratulate congratulate the colonies, congratulation colonies on your independence from the queen. But like um, the people in the US that run the colonies, their freedom marks the beginning of a whole bunch of tragedy for slaves and for indigenous people here. So I'm just kind of looking at the 4th of July, just like that that's not a holiday that I like to celebrate. I mean, like, it's really big for people in the military. And I'm like, yeah, cool, do your thing. But it's not a me thing. Not right. Really. Right. Absolutely. I wish- and so I think it's just a matter of um, educating people, um, making Juneteenth a big deal. Um, shout out to Cadient for giving us Juneteenth off. Um, oh, this will be the first. Off. We do not. Mm-mm. I'm- I think we do. I think we don't. At least I don't think I get it off over here. Um, I I checked and they told me that I asked and they told me that I don't get it off. Um, And we'll do some research on that and and get back to it. Okay. Um, But what I will say is that that it is now um, in the age of the Black Lives Matter movement um, that we are starting to acknowledge it a lot more. Um, It is starting to become well more known. I don't know what the school systems are doing. I highly doubt that they're speaking much about it. Um, But we as a community can definitely take steps now that there are more of us that are aware to make sure that our people know something. Um, We can do our part in and you know, broadcasting this to the world that this day is important, what it means to us, what it should mean to everyone else, and all the above. I know that Cadian is working on rolling holidays. So because um, all of the bank holidays are holidays that basically celebrate Catholicism, Christianity, and white people, um, and that doesn't that's not comprehensive, and a lot of mm-hmm. people are having to use their vacation time for holidays that are important to them. Um, I do believe that Cadence is considering rolling holidays, but I don't think it's this year. Okay. Yeah, I know that there was a conversation at some point. I remember specifically seeing Juneteenth being a consideration. Um, I guess I may have 
spoken too soon about it, but I know that I saw that somewhere. Um, so let's hope that that is the case. Um, I could we'll have sworn last year they said they were going to give it to us off this year, and then it just didn't end up happening. Mm -hmm. um, I'm looking through my um, I'm looking through my chat with my boss real quick to look and see because I do believe that I have text evidence that I don't have <laughs> off, and I had to use a uh, a paid holiday time to get it off but you know it, it is what it is and how now, either way it goes um if that is not the case if it is not the case that we do not have juneteenth off cadient hear me loud and clear very now right <laughs> now in this very moment we should have it off every year um it should be recognized as an extremely important day not just for us but for everybody else um because i mean why shouldn't it be? <laughs> we, we as a people, were freed, um, and that's that's major. So, hey, Katie, how you doing? <laughs> we need Juneteenth off if we don't already have it. Thanks. Yeah. So, um, today for this podcast, I did want to talk about being in the intersections of um, a black queer Juneteenth is on the horizon, but yet we just passed the um, the 100th anniversary of, uh, what do you call? <laughs> Sorry, Black Wall Black Street. Wall Street. The, yeah, the destruction of Black Wall, Wall Street or what, what they call the Tulsa riots, but they were not riots. It was a massacre. Really, yeah, it was a massacre, the Tulsa massacre. And um, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Whew, where do you start? <laughs> um, so, <laughs> um, so the Tulsa massacre took place on the 31st um, and 1st of June, 1921, um, known also as the Black Wall Street Massacre, Tulsa Race Riot, um, where a mob of white people, white, white residents uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, went into the Greenwood District, um, where there were a plethora of businesses um, and just all around thriving Black people um, and set fire to it, killed people, burned things down, and destroyed the community. Mm -hmm. um, this place was thriving. It, it was thriving. Yeah, um, in Black Wall Street, um, uh, people were were dressed amazingly. They had amazing schools. They would go to Europe to buy clothes. Um, at least that's the stories that I was told. And the the white people that lived around the Greenwood District, they were not nearly as affluent as the black people in that one community. And they just got so pissed off to see black people thriving and they're in the system that's supposed to be benefiting them that they just decided to to get their clubs and pitchforks and just burn it all down. And Absolutely. Yeah. And, and go ahead. And so our production um, shared a, and I do think that it is very important to point out, our production shared um, a post with us from Instagram that spoke to what Black Wall Street truly was. Mm -hmm. um, I think that the large majority of people do view it as this place and space where Black people, which they were, were just wealthy business people, but it was it was much more than that because it tied into um, what we know now to be uh, redlining um, and all the other systems that have 
uh, held black people back um, as far as you know moving moving up in the world. Um, so Black Wall Street was an allotment of land to um, black and indigenous people. Um, and they were able to take that land and create these businesses on it that allowed their specific community to thrive. Um, and so I think it is, it's important to point that out because it was not just a space where um, capitalism was thriving amongst black people. It was much more than that. Yeah, and it's frustrating because I hear stories of black people all the time. So it's like, um, whenever black people are upset, it's, we're told to go through the proper channels and the system will work and the system has never worked. <laughs> but we're always told the system will work, go through the proper channels. And like, but as soon as we start thriving, um, our homes and land are taken away and like, they'll like red zone us out or they'll destroy it. Or as seen earlier this year, they'll just try to destroy the system completely um as soon as it doesn't benefit like white people the most white people will try to destroy it if it starts mm -hmm. benefiting other people so it's just kind of like i see a lot of black people working in the system working on the system they're just like you know you know vote and do this and do that and activism because we're trying to make the system work for us but as soon as the system does work for us they change the system mm -hmm. or they burn down everything you have because they're jealous and mm -hmm. it's so frustrating you're like does success for black people what does that even look like like yeah like black wall street but then they burnt that down mm -hmm. it's it's like is it is it safe to be successful i mean like if you're not successful, you're not safe. If you're not comfortable, you're not safe. But if you are successful, are you still, if are you safe then? Or is it just, you're never safe? Right, absolutely. Um, and kind of just backtracking a little bit um, and piggybacking off of what you're saying here, Nikki, I think it's important to point out what ownership of land means as far as success is concerned in this country. Owning land makes a hell of a difference and your ability to thrive here. Um, so very specifically that that was taken away from, you know, these black people on Black Wall Street, um, it was extremely intentional because it, it meant a threat of black people succeeding in a way that had never been seen before. Yeah. Um, and even now, you know, because they, they either destroy things right or they recreate it in a way that that benefits them so if you look at what that means for us now um with what they call redlining and um not being able to secure bank loans or however other many things have occurred mm -hmm. um you know to black people that have kind of um stunted our growth um what happened at blog and what happened in black wall street at black wall street has not gone away. It has just changed its face. Um, and so I just think it's it's important to point that out. Yeah, um, there was a thriving black community over here in Portland, but um, they like they kicked everybody out of their houses and built a freeway over that land that was like all owned by black people. And that happens so often. They're just kind of like, okay, so we're going to build a freeway. Where are we going to build it? Are we going to displace? this community or that community and 
every time it's it's like blacker blacker brown people that are displaced when it comes to any kind of infrastructure mm -hmm. and i'm tired of it i'm so tired of it like I, I i would love to get a house but i feel like um if i do get a house it would need to be i don't know like success is scary look at look at yeah. street no it is yeah um, so that those are some those are some thoughts that people can sit with just kind of like if if you if you're too broke it's 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 not safe and if you are not broke it's not safe it's just being black is not safe a lot of the time at least when it comes to yeah. it, being in the system um but yes oh i also wanted to say i was listening to npr and i i got no Maybe it wasn't PR, maybe it wasn't. But the way that Black Wall Street was reported in the news in Greenwood was um, two white men killed during riot. <laughs> and that's what the newspaper in Greenwood says after the massacre of over 300 some odd black people. And um, that's the way it was reported. Mm -hmm. So like all of these people got forced out of their homes. And after they were forced out of their homes, they changed the laws in that city to make sure that they did not come back. Um, they made the land uh, skyrocketed in price. You And white people just walked into the houses that they destroyed and claimed them as their own. They're like, this is my house now. And um, that's, that's happened a couple times in history, too. Like the Japanese internment, when all of the Japanese had to go to inter internment camps, um, they had to leave or sell their houses. And the people who were not able to sell their houses, white people just walked into those houses like, this is my house now. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, oh, man, I would love to see land redistribution. It's it's just like, it's it's just so messed up. But could you imagine after all this time, what that would look like, the the chaos that would ensue in oh, this country I if imagine. that was to take place. I mean, and, and I think, I mean, we talk about reparations and, and we, mm -hmm. we hear those conversations. Um, and, and I, of course, am all for it. Mm -hmm. But I just imagine like what it truly would take to make that happen. Because... Oh. I mean, if we go based off of the original 40 acres. Mm. We didn't even get the 40 acres. Some <laughs> people will be talking about 40 acres and a mule, and then they, they overturned that decision. We didn't even get the 40 acres. <laughs> and it's like, I know white people that own more than 40 acres yeah. right now, and they're doing nothing with it. And yeah. like, we're going to give the entire slave community 40 acres. We didn't even get Or that. didn't originally own it. Like, it wasn't originally theirs. Like, let's let's really talk about what we're talking about here. Um, but to bring it back to a, to a more positive note, <laughs> we have Juneteenth to celebrate the advancement, um, at least in some spaces, um, and, and the freedoms of our ancestors. Mm -hmm. um, so again, it's an extremely important day, um, hint, hint, Katie, and we just really should take the time to observe it um, in the most brilliant way that we can yeah uh not not to like dull down your enthusiasm but i just think juneteenth is bare minimum <laughs> juneteenth 
We I mean, that. <laughs> I agree. No, I agree with you. I agree yeah. with you. Again, in the grand scheme of things, and and nothing. I don't at this point. I don't think that even reparations, while reparations will be a great start, mm-hmm. I don't think there is anything that could make up for four hundred plus years of black massacre. Mm-mm. What what possibly could redeem that? Mm-mm. There's there is nothing I could think of I, that would make me feel like yes, finally I feel good about being black in America. There is nothing. Yeah, that's super rough. I mean, like I could think of some things that would help, but like I I only like my 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 biggest thought is that I'm just like so black people are about twelve percent of the U.S.'s population. We should own twelve percent of the land. Um, and <laughs> could you imagine? <laughs> I can't, <laughs> I can't imagine. And that's the thing. Like, I, I can't even ma- imagine what that, what does that look like? What does that take? Um, who's in charge of the, distrib- the distribution? Cause even that would be chaos. Like there is, there's just, there's nothing, there's nothing that would be easy about such a feat. Nothing at all. Um, we really would have to, there would just be a lot of really angry people. Oh yeah. A lot of really angry people. Um, I do think that it's interesting that, um, we get to talk about all of these things, um, this amalgamation of things, (laughs) um, really because of the dates that they, they took place. So June 1st uh, is a part of the Tulsa riots, um, the Black Wall Street massacre. June 1st is also the kickoff of Pride Month. Yeah. Um, and as you and I know, as I'm sure other Black queer people know, it's a very complicated relationship that we have even with um, even with our relationship with civil rights, it's very complicated mm-hmm. being black and also queer. Mm-hmm. Um, that's in our everyday lives, that's in our work lives, everywhere we go, we specifically have to consider both of those things mm-hmm. as we navigate our spaces. Um, whereas our um, hetero counterparts do not. Yeah. Um, what has been your experience with that, Nikki? I just want to backtrack a little bit. I don't want to derail. Please. But, um, uh, I did want to say that we there, that we are on the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa massacre. But mm-hmm. I did want to give a shout out to the Creek Nation for their 100 yes. years allyship. Um, and, you know, activism in that area. And I also wanted to say that Memorial Day just passed. Hey. (laughs) And yeah, Memorial Day just passed. And I also just want to say that Memorial Day was made by Black people. (laughs) So um, was, was, yes, it was made by (laughs) Black people. And um, like we, we wanted to honor the dead in a time when white people weren't really doing that. And it has been kind of co-opted for the military, but Mm -hmm. Memorial Day is not just for 
the military and fallen military people. Memorial Day can be for anybody. Um, don't let people co-opt it and make it a, a nationalist kind of thing. Um, you can celebrate like victims of massacres on Memorial Day. You can celebrate your family on Memorial Day. You can celebrate the military on Memorial Day. You can celebrate mm -hmm. whatever you want on Memorial Day. It is not just a military thing. So absolutely. So now um, going back up to Pride Month, um, being queer and black has me sitting in the intersections um being queer i i'm lucky to be in a very blue state and um i didn't realize that i was queer until i was in my 20s probably um but yeah yeah i, I didn't know i was queer until i was in my 20s and my experience because i'm asexual and aromantic is probably a lot different than somebody who is a sexual person or okay a space sexual person <laughs> <laughs> or um what we like to call allosexual which is basically anybody with any kind of sexuality mm -hmm. just basically the opposite of an asexual and allo so um what my experience for being queer was, what is that going to look like in my future, which was the hardest part. I've had many, many a crisis just kind of trying to figure out what my future was going to look like. I was just like, uh, me not wanting romantic energy around me and not really wanting a partner. Does that mean that I'm going to die alone? Does that mean that I'm going to never be able to afford a house because society is kind of made to where you need to partner up in order to get anywhere? Mm -hmm. um, am, am I going to have to like dodge advancements for the rest of my life? Am I going to date? Am I going to like have to do um, emotional labor that doesn't come naturally to me? Um, mm. And do are there other people out there that don't want like... So like my, I, I would always look and see just kind of like nuclear families, like you've got the parents and you've got the kids and you live in this house if you're lucky. And um, I was just kind of like, what would that look, what, what does a future look like for an Aero Ace? No media, um, well, at least when I was trying to figure this out, very little media explored this. And the way that I overcame it was I was expressing my anxieties to a, a queer friend of mine and um, basically having just like a whole breakdown about it. And she was like, girl, shut up. <laughs> um, what I need you to know is that whatever kind of weird, funky, um, offbeat future and unconventional lifestyle you want to live, you want a partner, there is somebody who wants to live that unconventional lifestyle with you and i was just kind of like huh hearing that feels really good so you might so there might be somebody out there who wants to talk about font and video games and live in a house with me as kind of like a forever roommate with no romantic energy at, at all and that she's like yes absolutely there's somebody out there for you if if you want that there is um it there there's unconventional lifestyles are um, they, they're becoming more and more prominent and we are 
actively making vocabulary for these lifestyles so that they're not going to be so hard to talk about in the nearby mm -hmm. future. Mm -hmm. we're, we're coming up with terminology to describe different things and we're really compartmentalizing it and breaking it down so that, um, so that you can describe the way you're feeling because um, gay, you may not want to be in that box. You might not want to be in the lesbian box. You might not want to be in the cis box. You might not want to be in that box. But what we're doing is we're taking these identities and deconstructing them and giving them terminology and we're spreading it around on the internet and we're, we're putting it on Tumblr and we're putting it on Twitter and we're exposing it to as many people as possible so that people have this terminology so that we can talk about it, which is the majority of the fight. And so yes. not a lot of people know about asexuality and about aromanticism, but um, the people who do, there's resources out there for them now, and people are starting to be able to talk about it and to talk about what they want and what they feel and how they feel and um, are finding community for that very specific way that they feel. There's they can find community for it and talk about it with those people. And um, so that that was mostly my career experience, me panicking because I didn't know how to talk about it. <laughs> but now there's terminology and I know um, what kind of lifestyle I want to live. And yes, it's unconventional, but I know that there are other people out there that would be okay with that. As mm -hmm. a matter of fact, I do have a girlfriend and she asked me out knowing that I am asexual and asked me out knowing that I am aromantic. And she was prepared for that when she asked me out, which was news and crazy to me. It was like, why, yeah. <laughs> why would you want to date an aromantic person? Um, but she was just kind of like, that's what I want. And I'm like, all right then. So, <laughs> um, so her and I have been together for a little over a year and I have to talk about my feelings and, and then we have to do a lot of communication, but um, it's good because we are able to talk about it. So that has been, Beautiful. yeah, that's been my experience. It's definitely unconventional, but it is what it is and it's good so far. So I love that. I love that for both of y'all. Thank you. Um, I would have to say that my experience has been the polar opposite. <laughs> um, I exist in a space where the large majority of people that have interacted with me for the first time would probably say, oh yeah, he's gay. Um, I exist in a space where I've been pretty loud about my, um, my associate my association with being queer um and a lot of that of course came from having to be that person um because of course coming up in a predominantly black um section of my neighborhood um i had to defend myself a lot <laughs> a lot mm -hmm. um and i think that that created a person who wanted the world to know that while you may not like this, I don't care. Um, and that has translated into today as me um, being an advocate um, in ways that I wouldn't have imagined, you know, growing up. So 
I say it's opposite from your experience, just because I think that your experience was, and correct me if I'm wrong, of course, if I'm if I'm uh, misspeaking here, but your experience was much more um, an exploration of how to exist um, in your queerness, whereas mine was, you are a very obviously queer person and people know that and see that and they don't like it. And so you have to figure out how to navigate that space without getting killed. Yeah, um, I think that's accurate. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's been a very interesting journey. Um, and I am overly grateful for it because I think it it's brought me here. It's brought me to a place where I can discuss it openly uh, with other people who may be going through the same things, may be struggling with, you know, with their sexuality or maybe struggling with how to navigate within their sexuality um, outside of their confined home space. Um, and so what does that look like at Cadian, for instance? Um, I've had experiences where I was terrified to go to a home because I know whose home I was going into. Yeah. Um, there are cultures that specifically have a much more um, hostile relationship with queer people. Mm -hmm. um, and I've had to provide services to some of those cultures. And so just kind, kind of tiptoeing around who I am as a person so that I can provide these services and there not be any issues um, was very trying. It was a very that. trying experience. Yeah. Uh, so I have had to put a little more bass in my voice. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, kind of changed my walk. I had to really monitor and police my mannerisms because these are all things, of course, that happen within me and of me naturally. Um, but all things that are very recognizable to certain cultures as being feminine um, and they're, thereby being queer. So it's been a journey to say the least. Yeah. <laughs> in a journey. I feel you. Like you're you're going to your client's house and you're like, oh no, is that a Confederate flag on, <laughs> on, on top of their garage? Or you're driving home yeah. and then you you pass four Trump flags, a Confederate flag and a Blue Lives Matter flag. And you're just like, I don't know if I like this city. Yeah. <laughs> I need Exactly. I That's need exactly what it feels like. Yeah. That's exactly what it feels like. So all those things together. That's a great point. So you you have to exist in a space being black in behavior mm -hmm. as someone who is both black <laughs> and queer. I can't imagine um, what it's like to exist in those spaces and also be a woman on top of that, my God, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, just speaking for myself and what I've experienced, it's hard. It is genuinely hard. It's It can be traumatizing. Um, and there really is no right way to deal with that 
in our culture because it's it's such a hated discussion everywhere you look. I think even even with my other queer friends, um, when we talk about what it means to be queer in the workspace, even our our viewpoints on that vary so much um, that it's really hard to figure out how do I make this work for me. So yeah, it's it's talk about heavy subjects. <laughs> Once again, you know, this this is it's a journey. It's a constant battle. It's a it's a daily battle. Yeah, um, you're black and behavior and you this is black and behavior and you're black and you feel like you need to edit your behavior in order to stay safe sometimes. Listen. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. That's yeah. exactly it. You're like not allowed to talk to your clients about politics, but you're just sitting there kind of sweating. You're just like, if I mention I have a girlfriend, is that politics or am I going to get kicked out of this house? And these are kids, right? So they ask you those questions. Yeah, they, they ask do. you those questions. I I work in, um, for the past several months, I've been working in the school system and um, assisting one of the parapros with a kid um, and this was the first time that the kid had seen me with this pair probe that he sees daily. And his first question was, is this your husband? And in my head, I'm like, I am all the way gay, sir. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> um, but of course, you can't say that yeah. <laughs> in that space. Um, but there's also a part of you that wants to stand in who you are yeah and there's I, just no right way to do that in those I spaces. have not been doing that like like my client is just like hey Nikki did you have a valentine this year and I'm like I did and she's just like what was his name and I was like Clara <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> and I right, the confusion like, that ensues. Please don't tell your parents. <laughs> but no, like, seriously. Also, I, I definitely want to be that role model for the, for the families that I know that can handle it. And even especially for the families that I know might not be okay with it. Mm -hmm. I, I, I definitely want to be like, yeah, girls, they can... They can date. I want to say this to eight-year-olds. Like I, they, I'm sure eight-year-olds know. Oh um, yeah, oh, man. Yeah. The things that I have seen go down in elementary schools, they absolutely know. <laughs> they know it's it's in media now, and you know this and that. But like, when is it okay to talk about it? And is it okay to talk about it? Are you allowed to tell your client family, yeah, I have a girlfriend or are you not? Is it considered politics? Nobody really knows. Especially in a space, Nikki, where a very large piece of the autistic population identifies as queer as well. Mm -hmm. um, I actually did some research in my graduate program um, where they interviewed same gender loving men um, about their romantic lives. This was one of the first um, pieces of research that exists to even have done that because it's 
it's not a conversation. It's not a conversation. And, and I think that that's layered too, because I think it's not a conversation because people don't genuinely view people with autism or just disabilities all around as people who can have relationships. Yeah. That's, that's not even a thought. Like it's so hard because like these people do a lot of the time want relationships, yes. but it doesn't pass the minds of people who are around them or in their support system that these mm -hmm. people should be having relationships mm -hmm. with their families and stuff like that. And that's a whole other conversation. A whole other conversation. Let's, <laughs> let's, as a matter of fact, I'm going to write that down because we have to talk about that another day on another episode. <laughs> that That is, yeah, that's a lot. Yes. <laughs> that's a lot. Like love, sex, and relationships of the disabled and um, how we could, how we should and could support it. Oh my goodness. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, I have come across a lot of um, autistic asexuals and just um, autistic queers in general. As a matter of fact, whenever I get put on like a queer client's case, I'm just like, yes, give me all of the queer teens. I want yeah. them all. Oh man, I, I I love queer teen cases so much, so so much. Um, oh, maybe... I can't say that I've experienced that. I don't I don't know that I've come across any queer clientele. Um, I would love for that to be a thing where it was a space where the parents were, you know, they acknowledge it, mm -hmm. um, and you know, would allow for that kind of mentorship to happen and take place. I think that that would be amazing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, hopefully that'll I, be a thing for me one day too. I um, I ended up on a case where the teen was queer, but the teen was also closeted. And um, mm. that teen came out to me the first five minutes I stepped in the door. <laughs> but um, whenever I spoke to the mom, uh, just kind of like, uh, what does your child like to do? Uh, there was immediate misgendering. And so I look at the teen and the teen looks down and I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah. And um, I, I took the teen over to like another room at some point and I was just like, it's okay. It's okay. I won't let her know. <laughs> you're, you're safe with me. Um, I, I, I got you at least when we're, you know, alone together. But yeah. Like, yeah and then they were just like cool thanks <laughs> like they, they they came out with it as soon as i walked in the door but like i i had so much trust immediately and that was not a general thing and it was yeah surprising yeah um, actually i do want to give a shout out we're going to be on well i'm going to be on a panel soon and we're going to be talking about um i think it's the next it takes a village podcast right Yes. Are you going super to be on excited for that? I am going to be on that panel. I'm super excited for it. We're going to be discussing what it means to be queer um, in the space of ABA. Um, mm -hmm. And that's going to be amazing um, because there really is a um, the quilt bag, quilt bag panel. Mm -hmm. um, it's going to be amazing because that really is a necessary conversation to have. Um, they're obviously, I mean, we exist everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that there does need to be a, um, a sort of community of people who can have this conversation so that everyone else knows that we exist, that we're here, um, and that we can come together and, and kind of just 
share ideas about how to navigate in this space yeah. as queer people in the field. Yes, and uh, that there's there's the quilt bag panel, and then there's the um, uh, it takes a village podcast, and they're both going to be queer centered. And not only are we going to be talking about being queer in the field of ABA, but we're going to I, I've written a ton of notes about um, how to protect uh, queer kids and how to navigate, um, you know, having as much or giving clear queer clients and client families as much um, autonomy as possible while still like administering amazing, um, uh, amazing ABA that doesn't take away from their autonomy. Yes. And um, I am so excited to talk about it. And that's not a this podcast thing, but please, 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 please. I have so many notes and I'm so excited. So please come to the quilt bag panel and please come to the um, It Takes a Village podcast because we, I am going to do a tell all about. <laughs> about I'm so excited. It's going to be so awesome. Absolute expose about um like queer queer child autonomy and what you can and can't do in, in which situations and like it's going to be great. So please turn turn into um please tune into those two. Absolutely. Yes. Because um it it is ABA is us and also client families and also clients and man, we be queer. So <laughs> out here. We be queer friends. Yeah. So oh, it's gonna be so good. Yeah, I'm excited for it, definitely. Me too. Jeremy, do you have um do you have hot take today? Um, so I think for decolonizing ABA today, we're just going to um, continue with our conversation about the intersection um, of all of these identities. I think that it is very important to note and understand. Um, this is something that I think we need to hear as a Black culture um, and just something that we need to hear at large as well. The identities that we have do not exist one without the other. I am a black gay man um, that just so happens to work in ABA. Um, and I can't, outside of ABA, <laughs> I can't get rid of any of those things. Um, I can't have one of those things without the other. Th those things are one identity for me. Um, I think a lot of times, especially in the world of Black Lives Matter um, and just the movement at large, there's this idea that we have to separate these identities to be a part of and participate. Um, and that's absolutely not the case. Um, I can only show up as my full self all the time, everywhere I go. I love that. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I can only show up as my full self. Um, and if you're not willing to accept me as my full self, then I can't provide um, my help and support and encouragement um, and services to you. And that's just, that's just the bottom line. Yes, I feel you. Thank you. That was a really good take. Um, like, there are a lot of intersections that a lot of people need to be in 
like the, the the queer intersection and the trans intersection, the black intersection, the, the social economic status intersection, but like mm-hmm. wherever you are and all of those intersectionality and all of those margins, that is you, it's you boo. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you do you. <laughs> and like, uh, it's, it is definitely not ideal to have to um, pick and choose and, or, you know, cherry pick and offer yourself as a, an incomplete person to like mm-hmm. any place. And I respect the fact that you are not willing to do it. So that is, that is so awesome. Thank you so <laughs> yeah. much. What another great episode. Yeah. You're so awesome, Nikki. I absolutely Thank adore you. you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and to everybody who is listening, happy pride. Um, happy pride. Happy pride. I want you to go out and like hug all of the queer trans people that you know, because we want them celebrated while they are still here. Absolutely. And that is the most important thing. Like being in all of these margins, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful identity, but sometimes it's a dangerous place to be. So like definitely love and cherish everybody that's around you. I mean, like that kind of goes without saying. Absolutely. I'll throw in there too that um, maybe do a little research this year. I know that we love to go out and have fun. I'm all for it. I plan to do that myself. Mm -hmm. Um, But also really truly understand what pride means, who Mm -hmm. started pride, Mm -hmm. Um, Black trans women. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and just really engross yourself in the true meaning of what pride is supposed to be, because it's not all just clubs and parties and parades. (laughs) It is so, so, so much more. Um, and Uh, I hope to contribute to that in the coming years, um, in a way where we can have like panels or, um, just events that, aren't so party leaning mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that people can come out and enjoy and really learn about um, what it means to celebrate pride. Stonewall was a riot. Stonewall <laughs> was a riot. I need a shirt. Started by black and Afro-Latina trans women. Yes, or, absolutely. Latina, not Afro-Latina, but Latina trans women. And all of these people ended up in jail because being yourself was illegal. We have come mm-hmm. a long way, but it is still pride is still a protest and it is rooted in politics and cannot be separated by politics Yes, or politics cannot be taken out of pride because there are laws that are coming to persecute everybody. So like, yes, go ahead and get your drinks and party and dance and do your parade, but also know that um, it is more than parties and yes, Definitely. You, you, you got to get out there and make sure that you keep your freedoms because it's important. Juneteenth. <laughs> Juneteenth. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, All right, folks. Yes. Happy Pride. Happy Juneteenth. Happy Memorial Day. And just, man, June. <laughs> all those things. All June is all of those things. So... I I hope you have a good one, everybody. And thank you for coming to the Black and Behavior podcast for episode five. Yay. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. This has been a Cadient production.